You ready tonight? All right, take out your Bibles, as now we dig into the meat of these seven churches found in Asia Minor. We're looking at the first church tonight, the first church being the church at Ephesus. So our second study in the seven churches, last week we set up what needs to be kind of a template that we'll look at in the case of each church. And as we do that, we're speaking now very specifically of a church that was in Ephesus. All of these churches, remember, will be specific churches, real churches, legitimate places where God was being honored and worshipped, where the gospel was being preached. This particular church was also a period of time, and that period of time will be the period from about A.D. 33 to the time of A.D. 100. So a very short-lived reign for this particular church, the church at Ephesus, in that prophetic sense, that sense that they were being written about and that they would fade out of existence really in just a couple of years, this particular Ephesian church. And we'll see at the end of tonight's study exactly what happened. I also want to remind you that as we look at these things, we must keep all three views in view. So practically speaking, at that time, there was a church in Ephesus. That church existed during a period of time, perennially or seasonally or throughout the age that the church has existed in or will exist in. These conditions will exist. And so very important, there's always been a formal church There was a formal church then. There's always been a fundamental church. There was a fundamental church then. There's a fundamental church now. And looking forward prophetically, this is a church that would come after the apostolic era or the time of the apostles. And of course, we happen to be in a church that's after the time of the apostles. Amen? So you can see how all three of these views have validity. And it's important that we do not isolate any one of these churches to just simply a period of time, as some do. Because then you start thinking, well, you know, that time's over. I can tell you tonight, before we even begin, that there are a lot of churches who've lost their first love. That's the warning to this church. And so as we look at these seven churches tonight, the first one of them the church at Ephesus, we're going to ask God to speak to us through these churches because every single church, save one, will primarily be spoken to of in two ways, one in a manner of correction and one in a manner uh, of commendation. Every church, it seems as though there are a few things you can point out and say, you know, that's going pretty well, but there's always room for improvement. And so tonight, the church at Ephesus Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. And we ask, God, that you would work uh, in us, Lord, tonight to receive these truths, God, from you. Lord, we pray that you would just unveil yourself to us, what you intend for us to know. And so, God, we give you this time. Use it for your purposes. We pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Verse 1, it says there, To the angel... Of the church of Ephesus, right. And remember, the angels are going to be described for us. We know that they're messengers. They're the voice. They're the herald. It's speaking forth to those who would carry that title in our day and time as pastors, not angels as angelic beings, not those who are heavenly beings who dwell uh, behind the scenes in the spirit realm. But in this case, it's really speaking to those who carry the message of that particular church. So the angel, to the pastor, if you will, 
to the messenger of the church at Ephesus, write these things, says he who holds the seven stars. And remember the seven stars and the, or, that are in his right hand, who walks in the midst uh, of the seven golden lampstands. And so he's now writing to this city uh, that was in Asia Minor. And as we think of Asia Minor today, the easiest way to remember it is primarily Turkey. And so as Paul uh, would write to this city, he's writing, uh, would be there himself. Uh, he came there in AD 53. Uh, you remember that when Paul got there, he turned that city upside down, so much so that he was nearly killed in that city. In fact, he started a riot amongst the silversmiths there, uh, the Temple of Diana that stood on the hill there in Ephesus, uh, the ruins of which you can actually still see today. And I will remind you, they are ruins. They're not still there as a, as a place of worship because God kept his word that he's going to speak in this passage tonight. That city ceased to exist because it lost its first love. But that temple as it sat there was to the goddess Diana, to Artemis, and the silversmiths were in the business of making idols. And when Paul began to preach the truth that there was one true and living God, and that God had sent his only begotten Son into the world, that the world through him should be saved, when he began to preach that message and people got saved, they stopped buying silver idols. And so Paul was impinging on the business of those who were making profit from those who were worshiping pagan gods. So successful that was his ministry that literally that town was turned right side up, if you will. Paul wrote the book of the Bible to the Ephesians approximately 15 years after he founded that church. And there was a couple of problems in that church because Ephesus began what we now know as syncretism. That's when you take things and you bring them together and you try and make one thing out of them. And in, in this case, you know, I'm kind of joking with you here, but Christo, Islamo, Buddha, New Agers, uh, those, those types of people who just, well, all roads lead to heaven. We don't really want to put anyone down. We don't want to say anything bad about the, the goddess Diana or Artemis. We don't want to say anything, you know, that might upset a Buddhist, or we don't want to really call into question whether Krishna or Vishnu is actually the true or the living God. We don't want to say those kind of things because we might offend somebody. So rather than offending, which... Your Bible says that the gospel is an offense, amen? But it is life to those who receive it and believe it. It is an offense to those who are perishing. And so no matter where you go, no matter what you do, when you talk about the truth of God's word, you are always going to come across some criticism because it's truth and truth affects people's lives. They have to choose to believe it and receive it or reject it. And in this case, they would rather reject it. So, to reject it, they began to bring all of these truths together. Well, we'll just kind of worship on Tuesday over at the Temple of Diana, you know, because they have some of the really choicest meats there. There were trade guilds at the time. Those trade guilds kept control of most everything that flowed through the city. And as they did that, they also controlled the food supplies, and especially meat. And so if you really wanted to have a nice barbecue at your house... Uh, if you wanted a choice cut, you needed to go through the trade guilds. And so the trade guilds were directly tied to the temple at Di of Diana. And so as Paul preaches this truth, all of a sudden, the Christians can't get any good food. And so they begin to, you know, they're getting a little upset. And then as it starts to cut into the profit line of those in those pagan trade guilds, then all of a sudden they're mad at the Christians. And so 
the whole thing comes apart. So what's the answer? The world's answer is, we'll just tolerate everything. And so no matter what you believe, as long as you believe it strongly enough, if you are convinced in and of yourself, it must be true. Family of God, the world is perishing because of that thought process. Because all roads do not lead to heaven. There is a narrow way. His name is Jesus. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. There is a narrow way that leads unto righteousness, and few there are who find it. And so here in Ephesus, much like in our world today, we see this problem of the the church having a message that is hard for the world to hear. It's still hard for the world to hear. And now we find the commendation of the Lord. Verse 2, it goes on to say, For I know your works and your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And the word evil there is leaning towards and simply means doctrinal evil. In other words, false teaching. You cannot bear with those who do not teach the truth. You see, to have this said about your church is a pretty good thing. If you happen to be a Christian, that's something you want said about your church and your pastor, that he can't bear with false teaching. That you absolutely work good works for the Lord. For faith without works is dead, amen? Matter of fact, James went on to say, as he spoke to that issue, he said, look, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, you can examine my life and what I do, and as you see me engage in this world, as I'm doing these things, the things I do bear the marks of Christ. And so this church is being commended for the works that they're doing in the Lord, the labor, the hard labor that they're doing in the Lord. You cannot bear those who are false teachers or evil, and have tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. In other words, these guys were Bereans. They knew the truth, they understood what God's word says, they believed that truth, and anyone who spoke something other than that truth was going to come under fire from the church at Ephesus. It's a good thing, provided you don't have happen what the Lord is going to speak to in this case. Because there are all kinds of churches all over the world, there are all kinds of churches here in California, here in the South Bay, that have sound doctrine, but they lack love. And when Paul spoke to that issue, and he says, though I have the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I am become as a sounding brass. He said, in other words, the message has to be delivered in a way that it speaks to the character, the nature, the heart, and the desire of Christ which is that people fall in love with Jesus. You can't deliver the message in such a harsh way that the love of God is lost because God is love. You have to speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love. We must speak the truth. And truth, by the way, is non-negotiable. If you have two competing truths, one is not true, amen? One is true and one is a lie. So you have to speak the truth. 
But when you speak that truth, it needs to come in a way that someone can hear the very voice of God saying the same thing that happened in your life, for it is the kindness of God that leads men unto repentance. Amen? You see, that's what happened in my life. That's what happened in your life. And so this church was doctrinally right on. They knew a false apostle when they saw one. They, they could watch TBN and go, liar, 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 liar. And then everyone's like, Greg Laurie will come on. He goes, oh, that's truth. But they understood false doctrine. It's a really good thing. And I want you to notice the order here because he commends first and then censures people second. God always does that. He doesn't start out with the rod in his hand. God doesn't want to spank his children. God spanks his children because he loves his children and his children won't change. Understand that. So when you're getting a whooping, a beat down from the Lord, it's because you ain't listening. Amen? That's the problem. The problem's never the Lord. The problem's always us and it's because we're not listening. We know the truth and we won't do it. It's interesting to note here what the Lord finds is important. He likes good doctrine, loves hard work, and we want to balance those things in our lives. But balance doesn't exclude the hard work. Remember that. Some people think that the Christian life is just a life of ease. It's not a life of ease. It is a life of a light yoke, a burden that's easy, but not a burdenless life. There are burdens in the Christian life, but they're the burdens that God has designed for you not burdens that you have made for yourself. If you find a burden too heavy, chances are it's not from him. Paul would write to Timothy on this very issue in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, And therefore you must endure good hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, for no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Think about it for a second. You all got enlisted in the Lord's army, amen? When you said yes to Jesus, very much like our military, you have to sign a letter of conscription. You're going to go into the U.S. military. You're going to serve in some branch of the service. And you sign documents that say you're going to uphold the Constitution of the United States and you're going to faithfully follow the orders of your superiors. It's what you have to do to be in the military. It's the same thing with Jesus Christ, except what he says is, I am Lord I'm master, and you follow. So you, you have to have those things correct, but they also have to be done in a way that you can say, look, I've given it my very best. Having done all the stand, stand therefore, we're going to see when we come to the end of the book of Ephesians. Notice it says that he could not Uh, understand anything different about these people than that you cannot bear those who are evil. The Ephesian church couldn't put up with false doctrine. And I want to be really careful here because a lot of disagreements go on in the church about things that are non-essential. This is a doctrinal issue. This is a salvational issue. This is not an issue about whether you uh, believe that one day Uh, The church is going to be raptured, though I believe the rapture is an essential doctrine if you want to have joy in your life. You want to have peace in your life. If you want to understand 
the goodness of God, that he was not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation. I think it's really important for that. But you are not going to heaven because you understand the doctrine of the rapture. You're going to heaven because you have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are some people that make believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ about as arduous as you can possibly get. Well, you do this and you do that and you belong to this and go to that class and you don't, what, you don't understand predestination? You mean you don't know that you're one of God's elect and what that actually means? I've actually had people tell me that because I do not teach correctly the doctrine of election according to the Reformed view, that I am not saved. And those are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe they're going to heaven. And when we get there, we're both going to get our doctrine squared away. (laughs) Those little things that I don't quite have right, maybe I missed something somewhere, but don't mess with Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. Amen? This church knew that. They began to haggle over other things. And I want you to notice, too, as we go through these churches, that the first four of them all dealt with false teachers. Every one of the first four. It's a farewell message to this particular church. Paul even challenged him on some of these issues. There in Acts chapter 20, he says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves or false teachers will come, and they'll come among you, not sparing the flock, Also, even from among yourself, people within the church, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. You see, when people fall in love with Jesus, they get along with others. People who are truly in love with Jesus get along with others who also love Jesus, and they also love people who are lost. And so these clubs of of denominational lines that rip apart the body of Christ for the sake of some non-essential doctrine is not of the Lord. And we need to recognize that. So when you find yourself getting all worked up about something that is not going to keep your brother, your sister, your friend, your family member from the glories of heaven... If they're talking about some other Jesus, you need to be very concerned. But if they're talking about, you know, I don't really see how God quite did all of creation in just seven, six literal days, and then on the seventh day he rested, I don't quite get that. And they happen to believe that God used evolutionary principles somehow. You're not going to heaven because of what you believe there. You're going to heaven because of the price that Jesus Christ paid on Calvary's cross. So please don't divide the church over those things. Have healthy, wonderful... I happen to believe that God created literally the entire universe in six days. I have no problem believing that. He's God. He can do miracles. And if anybody can create something out of nothing, it's Him. And we study the book of Genesis. We'll go into all the scientific reasons why I think that's true. But it does not dictate whether you're going to heaven or not. And there are people who think differently that are also going to heaven. Why am I beating this drum? Because I'm tired of seeing brothers and sisters in Christ who are so divided that they can no longer function as the body of Christ. 
They've become so divided over non-essential issues that they can't even talk to each other. So when it comes time to pray for that other church, that other brother, we don't pray for them because, you know, they have wrong doctrine. Be careful. Because this church had right doctrine and lost their first love. It's our faith that carries us through times of trouble. Notice here how tough it is to hang tough. For you've persevered, you have patience, have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. You, you see, it really indicates here to persevere with patience. It's one thing, it's just like loving people and, and, and being patient and being kind to them while you're loving them. These things are linked together. They're not supposed to be pulled apart. Well, I have some perseverance and I have some patience. No, you're supposed to persevere in patience and patiently persevere both ways. You need to keep them together the way they're intended here. This was a church that was digging in, staying put. When the tough came, they kept going. And he uses the word patience here, and it actually literally means something unique in the English language. The Greek word translated there means to abide under. In other words, it's as if you set up your house underneath some very difficult circumstances intentionally. Isn't that us? If you have named the name of Christ, you live in a world that does not like Jesus. Amen? The body of Christ is responsible for all kinds of things in this world that shine a very, very strong light on very, very dark things. Amen? You see that in your own life. How many conversations do you have with people at work, maybe, to where they're, oh, yeah, I'm going to this thing or that thing or this party or that party. Or, you know, we're taking this. We've got a busload of us, and we're going to Vegas, and we're leaving our wives behind. Well, we do. you know what happens in Vegas. And you're going, brother, sister, you told me you named the name of Christ. You have no business wasting God's money on your foolish pleasure. It's what your Bible says. All of a sudden, it's going to get kind of tough for you at work, isn't it? Well, don't talk to him. You know, I talked to Jeff. Like, you know, now I feel condemned about throwing my life savings away. <laughs> you know, I was happy in my divorce. And, you know, he had to throw that out. God hates divorce. You have to persevere in that patience. You've got to keep speaking the truth when it's not popular. Amen? Have labored. Man, sometimes ministry is laborious. It's tough. Stuff that goes on in church. You know, I'm always amazed, having been in ministry a long time. I am amazed at what other people think about the ministry because their idea of what ministry is, they get from watching TBN. You know, they think that, you know, there's billions of dollars and that there are vacation homes on the coast of France and all these crazy things. And you tell them the, the no, I actually had to pay for my children to go to school. And, you know, we actually, we buy our own groceries, really. You see... Sometimes we forget we have to labor at it. But notice there is someone we're laboring for, for my name's sake. You see, we're, we're laboring in the capacity of Christ. 
I'm not just laboring for the sake of laboring. Too many people labor for the sake of laboring. Now notice as he shifts gears here and begins with what we would like to call the bad news. He's, he's given them the good news. Look, you're doctrinally correct. You're working hard. You're doing these wonderful things. Someone would look at the church and go, that, that's a healthy, busy church. You know, you go there, you're going to get a solid message in the Word. But nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Your doctrine's good. You're busy. You work hard. You got all kinds of stuff going on, but you're unloving. Because Scripture says that Jesus Himself actually is love. God is love. That the center of everything is the love of God. Matter of fact, Jesus was so specific on this. He said, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another, amen? That's how you actually know a church is a church that preaches Christ. So if you have an unloving church, you might want to look and see how much Jesus is there. Or if you yourself struggle with being loving, you need to ask the Lord to increase your love quotient, amen? To build that love up. You'd be surprised what kind of barriers love actually breaks down. It's kind of hard to get in an argument with somebody who's trying to love on you. Just stop it, man. I'm really, I'm just so twisted at you right now. And you're just like, well, I'm really sorry, brother. What what did I do? You know, would you forgive me? You know, the moment you start asking the right questions speaking forth the right truths, people are stuck with their own self. All of a sudden, there's no fingers to point at anybody else. They're all turned back at you. You've lost your first love. He goes from commendation to correction. And I want to tell you that this church had a very common problem because it is absolutely possible to have both distinction and disrepute. You you can have good things and you can have bad things. But they no longer love the Lord the way they used to. They no longer loved coming to church. They were worried about having a meeting. They were worried about getting together with a bunch of people and really going through the fine points of doctrine. Now, trust me, I I love people who go through the fine points of doctrine. But I can tell you they can also drive people right out of the doors of the church. Because everything becomes a theo... Well, you know he mispronounced the Greek last week. It's like, you know, we're, we're going to perish and burn eternally because of a mispronounced Greek word that probably none of us know how to say correctly. Even people who are Greek can't speak it correctly. And if you talk to someone who is Greek, they all disagree with each other. Well, my grandfather's great-grandfather's mother's uncle's aunt's cousin used to actually know Paul. You've met people like that, Right? Everything you say, they have a counter-argument for. And pretty soon you're going like, where's the love? Where's the love? All men will know by the love. It's a fatal fault. 
The phrase there, I have, actually indicates a charge that was outstanding. It's as if the Lord presented his case in a legal fashion. He says, okay, here's the evidence against you. That's pretty sound evidence. A loveless church. We don't want to become a loveless church, amen? They took their eyes off the Lord. They lost fellowship with him. They didn't lose their salvation. They lost fellowship with him. They did not lose their salvation. They lost fellowship with the Lord. You, you see, when you think of it that way, then you, then you get it. Because the Lord still loves you. No one can snatch them out of my hand that are, that are mine, Jesus said. They're, they're, you're, you're in. But, oh, man, can you lose fellowship with the Lord? I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I think all of us at some time, if you walk with the Lord for any length of period of time, you know what it's like to lose fellowship with the Lord. And it is always because you move, not him. He, he never changes. I, the Lord, change not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the Alpha, and I am the Omega. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I was there before, I'm here right now, and I'm going to be there at the end. He doesn't change. So when you see a church that loses the one defining characteristic of real Christians, you have to ask yourself, how did they get out of fellowship with God that bad? What happened to them? He moves on now to something that none of us should ever want to get from the Lord, and that's an exhortation. The word exhortation really in its finest definition means a strong rebuke. It means something that's so pointed, it's pointed right at you, and it's intended to pierce right through all the junk and get to the issue. So when one of your friends in the Lord comes up to you and says, Hey, brother, I've, sister, I've got an exhortation from, for you, 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 you can just kind of go, Oh, boy. I hate exhortations, actually. I don't like getting them. I don't like giving them. And I surely don't want to get one from Jesus. Here comes the exhortation. Remember, therefore, it says in verse 5, from where you have, notice it, fallen. You were there. You got there. It's a, it's a beautiful picture because the word fallen is exactly the same word in Greek that was in the original Hebrew in the book of Isaiah when the prophet Isaiah talked about the fall of Lucifer. Look how far you've fallen. You, you knew what it was like to be in the heights of heaven. You understood fully what it was to be a child of God and to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the desires, the lust of your flesh. You knew what it was like to be gentle and meek and kind and humble. You knew exactly what it was like to walk with me, Jesus is saying, in the cool of the day. You have been there. You have done that. You own a t-shirt. You've got a ball cap. But you took your t-shirt off. You pulled the bumper sticker off your car. You said, I'm not doing that anymore. You've fallen. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, the highest heights, repent and do the first works. The first work of any believer is love. That's the first work. 
Not that we love him, but that he first loved us. Amen? Love is the reason you all are going to heaven. Amen? That's why you're going to heaven, in case you didn't know when you came in tonight. You're going to heaven because of the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Love's the motivator. Love is who Christ is. Look, where, look at the first work. You're not doing that anymore. And I want you to notice now, and you do not want God saying this to you. You don't want him, remember the lampstands are the churches. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I've said to you a couple of times, the church in general doesn't like the word repent. We don't use it as much as I think we should. It's almost like when somebody says repent, it's like, oh, that's a a dirty word. Notice what it does, because the conveyance of the original language is two things. It is an attitude adjustment that leads to a behavior modification. thought I'd throw out the psychological things for you. It is an attitude adjustment that leads to a behavioral modification. It is an attitude adjustment that leads to a behavioral modification. In other words, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm not going to do that anymore. It is not, I'm sorry, and then right along doing whatever you want to do. That's not repentance. Maybe some kind of sorrow. Might be something that you could look at, well, it's godly, it's, it's, it's a good thing, I understand what is wrong. But you are also supposed to know what is right and then do what God says. Amen? That's what lordship is. He is our Lord. He's not simply our Savior. He says, therefore, and that's referring to the loss of love for the Lord Jesus. Look, you've fallen from loving the Lord and then the outflow of that, which is loving other people. Loving both believers and unbelievers. Did you know that the church is supposed to love the lost? You know why? Because your Bible says so. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Amen? So if he is love and he came to seek and save that which is lost, you're supposed to love the lost. Not hate the lost. Now, I'm sure glad that people who were praying for me when I was a young person, they didn't stop praying because I'm sure they could have looked at my life and said, he's going to hell. Both feet jumping straight in. How many of you were exactly the same way? And yet when you see somebody else who's caught in some kind of sin, instead of praying for them, we're going, Lord, just fry them so they don't get any dirt on me. (laughs) You know, you start stepping sideways, there might be a lightning bolt that comes in at any moment. Repent from that kind of heart. Repent from that kind of attitude. It wasn't just an occasional slip. It was an attitude. They now had an attitude that, you know, I'm just going to be unloving. And you see an example of that is that if I were to stand up here, you know, if I had my chucks on and they happened to be pink, and one of you said, you know, Jeff, that looks not really all that manly. And I looked down at him and I said, you're right. I'm going to go get me a different color 
And I come back with a different color of chalks. That means I understood. I had an understanding that maybe I needed to do something. Then I went and did something about it. Amen? If I came back and tried to explain to you why I now wear pink Converse shoes, that's not an attitude adjustment. My, my behavior didn't get modified. It's still the same. Repentance causes us to change, folks. They had a lackluster love. They didn't love the Lord like they should. And that was visible to other people. You know, the, the Nike motto, just do it. Yeah? It ought to be for all Christians. Just do it. Just do it. Stop talking about it. Just do it. Stop giving your excuses for why you can't do it or won't do it or shouldn't do it or doesn't apply to you, my favorite excuse when I'm in counseling. Well, you know, if you just met my wife. Have you ever talked? Just talk to her for three minutes. Then the wife comes in. Well, if you just talk to, you know, have you talked to my husband? You realize how evil he is? And then they go on with the excuses as to why they are actively engaged in some sinful behavior because it's his fault. Just do it. Turn around. You're responsible for you. We know that Scripture says that no one sins when he sins, say that he sins of God. So it's not ever God's problem. He didn't put you in a place that you couldn't help it. It's your problem. The question is, are you going to hear what he has to say and then go do it? That was the problem with the church at Ephesus. And so he gives them an or else that you don't want to hear. Repent or else I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The, the word remove there is actually from two Greek words, and they give us our English word both kinetic and cinema. In other words, it's an action flick is going to happen in your church, and it's going to call, be called burning down the house. Your, your church is not going to survive this because the Lord isn't going to get blamed for your loveless church. He tears churches down like that. He says, I'm not going to, you cannot associate yourself with me and think that I'm going to leave you like that. He'll take the people out, then he'll take the funds out of it, and then the building will decay, and before you know it, it'll be like an awful lot of churches in America. They are hollow shells that no longer have the real church, which is people in them. The church is not a building, by the way, it's people. Amen? We are the church. This building is not the church. This is a house of worship. It's a place that we come. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. A place where we worship the Lord, where we teach His Word. But you are the church. And God's church is supposed to be loving. He says, look, I'm going to remove your lampstand. He's basically saying, let go of that critical spirit. Get get rid of these things that, that are bogging you down. Jesus says something next in verse 6 that people have a tough time with. Because he's already said, look, I want you to be marked by love. And now he says, but this you have. He goes back to commending them for something. Notice what they get commended for. And that's hating something that God hates. It is not unloving to hate what God hates. It is not unloving to hate sin that destroys people's lives. 
You can be very loving and tell somebody the absolute truth and still tell them the truth and actually hate what they're doing without hating the person that's doing it. And I think that a lot of times is where the church falls flat. We're good at being kind of anti-things. We, we can communicate very clearly what we're against, but we forget to tell them what we're for, and that's your soul. That we love you, and we want you to be in heaven with us. But if you continue this way, the Bible, which is the authority in all things leading to life and godliness, amen? We, faith comes by hearing, Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So what we know chiefly about the Lord comes through his word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, spoken into our lives, generally by people like me, a pastor, somebody speaks that, maybe you read it for yourself, the Holy Spirit confirms it, seals it in you, you now have that as truth. You have it as truth. You walk in it. You don't reject it. You don't say, well, it doesn't apply to me. You have to tell people the truth. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Notice what he hates. Does it say he hates the Nicolaitans? That isn't what it says. He hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He doesn't hate the Nicolaitan people, so to speak. He hates what they do because what they do drags other people into their mess. It destroys their life and people around them. They had a a laxity about food sacrifice to idols. So they're up there at the temple engaging with the temple prostitutes, getting the choice cuts of meat, and encouraging people, hey, it's not that bad. I mean, come on. I got a nice big fatty ribeye up there. It had mushrooms and grilled onions. Little drool coming out right now. And man, they had these to die for, roasted red potatoes with garlic. And oh, by the way, the chicks were hot. And the reason I'm saying that that way is that's exactly how young believers get lured into doing dumb things because old believers won't stand for the truth. We know the truth and we won't go, you know, you really should not go to that club. That whole carols and beer thing that you're doing, that's not honoring the Lord on His birthday. And you say it in love. You say, look, I care about you. This is not honoring to God. How can you possibly ask God to bless you when you're engaged in the very things that he tells you he doesn't want you to do? You see, that's loving. That's hating the sin. That's not hating the person. That's telling the person the truth. Hey, look, don't go there. It's not going to go good for you. If they choose to do it, you pray for them. You say, look, I'm going to be praying for you. I know you're going. I'm going to go home and pray. I'm going to ask God to make your time miserable. I'm going to ask that girl to be ugly. I'm going to pray your car breaks down. I'm going to pray somebody steals your money. Because I love you. Amen? Amen? 
The Lord's up there going, Amen. <laughs> David had some unusual, Lord, break their teeth out of their mouth. Grind their bones to dust. It's okay to pray against the sin, but pray for the sinner. And tell them you're praying for them. It'll make them so mad. Are you calling me a Nicolaitan? Yeah. But I love you. You see, Jezebel was likely the center of that cult in Ephesus and this libertine Gnosticism. What Gnosticism typically did in in its most common uh, fashion was to take and divide the human experience really into two very specific pieces. And the human experience was a physical piece and it was a mental, emotional, spiritual piece. In other words, there was a side of you that if you had well, I just believe in my spirit. I'm doing the right thing. You're smoking crack, bro. <laughs> but when I smoke it, it's not crack. You've met people like that, right? Their sin is actually not sin because somehow they're okay with it because God told them. You're like, it's every green herb, bro. You know, you know the people I'm talking about. We still have libertine Gnosticism in our world. Well, you know, it's just my body, and my body stays here on the earth, and, you know, I can kind of do whatever I want with my body. I mean, really, what does it matter? It's only going to be here for 80 years. It's going to turn into worm food, and who cares? Your body, Scripture says, is the temple, the church, the worship place of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, it goes on to say that you shall not defile God's holy temple. So when someone says to you, you just pull apart the spiritual side and the physical side, it doesn't matter what you do to the physical side, your Bible says otherwise. That was libertine Gnosticism. The Lord hates it. Why? Because it leads people to be places where they shouldn't be and do things they shouldn't do and become engaged in sins that can captivate their heart because what goes through the mind and to the hands can make it to the heart. And I'm not the judge of someone else's salvation, but I know what my Bible says. By their fruit you shall know them. And so when I see my brothers and sisters who claim to be Christians, and I actually, got, I actually got an invite to this. It was called Beer and Carols. Seriously. Well, we're going to do uh, tasting micro-brews, and we're going to sing Christmas carols. We're going to go Christmas caroling down the boulevard. You know, they've got their beer steins, and in, I don't know what they were singing in between the carols, but it was... Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, for hops or something. I don't know. (laughs) But can you imagine someone who was a marginal believer seeing that, what that liberty might have done to their very soul? We have a responsibility, family, to clean up God's house and to tell people the truth about sin. Don't be a Nicolaitan. It was she actually in 1 Kings chapter 16, 2 Kings chapter 9, that introduced harlotry to the children of Israel, wasn't it? She was the one that introduced that. 
And everybody just, well, you know, she's good looking. You know, I mean, King Ahab, he kind of likes her. It ruined the whole nation. I wonder how many things that the church doesn't stand for are going to ruin the whole nation. Think about it. You see, unbridled tolerance is not love at all. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things of this world, for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it's not love to love everything. Amen? It's perfectly okay. How's your hate quotient tonight? Because there are some things you ought to hate. And I ought to hate. Because they're destroying our kids. They're destroying our neighborhoods. They may be ruining your family, our community. This state for sure has issues. Amen? Amen. What about our country? What about our country? I'm listening today what's going on in Baltimore is enough to make you cry. I mean, how can we possibly be here? Why? Because we're telling everybody everything's okay. It's okay. Just do whatever you want. As long as you like it, it's fine. That's the path that leads to destruction. Live and let live is not a biblical value. It's not found in your Bible. We're supposed to hate sin. Not sinners. Sin. So when the church stops preaching righteousness, we're telling people that sin is okay. And sin has always destroyed. Always. Finally, the choice is yours. The choice is mine. The choice is ours. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give to eat of the tree of life. Amen? See, you have the choice. You can do whatever you want. God's not going to stop you. Crazy thing about life in Christ is that the Lord does not take away your free will. You're not a robot. You're not an automaton. You're not some little cookie-cutter thing stamped out of human flesh. And it's like, boom, we make another few billion of those. Every one of us has a unique personality created by God. We're actually going to look at that on Sunday. Every one of us has a wonderfully unique set of gifts and skills and talents, all kinds of things that can be used for God's glory or not. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. The choice is ours. The question is, will you hear what he has to say? Because he, like it or not, whether people believe it or not, it's not goo to you. It's not monkey to man. It's God said, and therefore we are. For out of the dust of the earth he created them, male and female. He made us wonderfully unique and different as genders. You see, when he did that, he also set the parameters whereby we were supposed to live our lives on this earth. He did that. We can either believe it or not. And see, here's where it goes to. If you want to eat of the tree that's in the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God, you've got to hear what the Lord has to say. And if you're on the wrong side of what he has to say, 
This passage says repent. If you've lost your love, you need to get back to it. Because a loving church attracts people to a loving God. A hate-filled church? I got to admit, every time somebody says Westboro Baptist Church, I want to... I want to strangle him in Jesus. I don't know if there is such a thing. It's a theological question I've asked myself. It's like, that's not a church. What does that have to do with church? That is a hate group. That's what that is. And we need to call it a hate group, not a church. Amen? That's a hate group. And the church ought to call them a hate group. Because the real church doesn't act like that. Real church doesn't say things like that. Real church isn't hate-filled. It simply hates sin. And you can love on all kinds of people and still hate sin. And when you do that, there's something strangely attractive about you, about me, about us. And it's very contagious. And it causes churches to grow and new believers to come into God's kingdom and People to walk in the spirit, not fulfill the lust of their flesh. Crosses all kinds of boundaries and erases all kinds of bad things. Because the love of God can do that. And that's why he said, don't leave your first love. Because that's what really counts. Amen? Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we... Oh God, we just ask for us. Lord, tonight... Tonight, God, would you fill us with your love? Lord, maybe there are some tonight that, maybe when they even came in, they brought some hurt, some hate. They brought some pain, some anguish. How they brought something that that isn't going to help them grow. Isn't going to make them attractive. Or, as a matter of fact, it might kill them. And we pray tonight that you'd set us free. Lord, we ask that you'd show us in our lives those areas that need to change. There's not one of us in here, myself included, that can't stand some change someplace to make us more like you. God, would it never be said of this church, never be said of this church, that we lost our first love? Would we always be found busy and working for your kingdom? Lord, will we never tend towards things that will harm anyone, anywhere, anytime, place? Lord, when you come for us, we pray that you'd be smiling. Lord, we ask that you would give us from that tree of life, Lord, the wonderful, wonderful, abiding life that's in the vine. We thank you, God, for the wonder of your word, for the power of the cross. For your precious blood, Jesus, that's cleansed us and made us white as wool. Father, if there are those tonight maybe that have never experienced the goodness of your grace, God, would you speak the truth that Jesus alone is the way and the truth and the life. Lord, would they receive that, believe that, and be saved. We bless you. We praise you. We honor you and we ask all this in the mighty name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus who is our Messiah, the coming King. All God's people said, Amen.